Listen to WGN Radio's newest podcast, Behind the Badge, Illinois, hosted by David Hochberg. Behind the Badge, Illinois, views current events through the eyes of Illinois law enforcement leaders. Tune in. Visit WGNRadio.com slash Behind the Badge. Greg Cott to talk a little bit about his legacy, the co-host of Sound Opinions, the author, the former music critic at the Trib. Who was Burt Bacharach, Greg? Uh, one of the greatest songwriters of the 20th century, and uh, actually well into the 21st century as well, 94 years old when he died on uh, Wednesday. But, you know, I think when people think about Bacharach, they think about the 60s and how he dominated that decade with his songwriting partner, Hell David. David wrote the lyrics, Bacharach did those sophisticated uh, melodies. And, uh, you know, you think about the great songwriting partnerships of that decade, Lennon and McCartney, the Beatles, right? Uh, Jerry Goffin and Carol King, I thought uh, right up there, and then and then Backrack and David. I mean, they were giants uh, in, in their field, and prolific in the mid '60s. When you look at their song list, it's uh, they were they must have been all over the radio. Let's see, in 1965, I was six years old, so uh, I certainly know these songs. But it was just not just hit after hit, but really touching, memorable song after touching, memorable song. I would say. Yeah, that's absolutely true, John. Um, when you think about how many times those songs not only were hits in, in their original incarnation, you know, uh, performed by whatever artists they were working with, Dionne Warwick or Jackie DeShannon or Tom Jones, um, yeah. you know, Gene, Gene Pitney, those songs were then covered in subsequent decades by other artists. So they had a longevity. You know, I, I think the only comparable thing really you know, it would have been sort of like great American songbook stuff, like written by, you know, somebody like uh, uh, Cole Porter. You know, it, it's in that in in that realm where these songs just sort of endure beyond the time that they were written in into subsequent decades. That, that shows you the staying power uh, that they had. People aren't critical of the groove that his music sort of found. It was... Um... I won't say one song was as similar as the next, but he sure had a lane, didn't he? Well, the thing about, you know, being a hit songwriter in the 60s, you know, he got tagged with easy listening as kind of the yeah. the thing that they were doing. It was kind of loungy, you know, music, and it was considered a little bit out of step with the rock music that was ascendant, you know, politically, politically uh, inclined uh, radical sounds for, for, you know, the mainstream that were sort of breaking through. And these guys were sort of seen as, you know, middle of the road. But, you know, it turns out the middle of the road had some staying power. And I think the main things are that the songs were very sophisticated. They weren't just meant to be pop songs. These were songs with with classical innovation uh, sort of woven into them, uh, thanks to Backrack and, and really smart lyrics. And then great interpreters. I mean, the, the singers that they worked with were, were magnificent. Dionne Warwick, uh, first and foremost among them, um, you know, and that was Backrack doing that. Um, you know, he, he discovered Dionne, so to speak. Uh, she was a background singer working with the Drifters. And he goes, no, this, this lady can sing. Uh, she's a young gospel trained singer. And, yeah. you know, she, the, the beauty of Dionne's stuff with, with them, you know, don't make me over anyone who had a heart walk on by. Those are really sophisticated, technically difficult songs to sing. And she made them really sound easy to sing. I mean, it was there was an effortlessness about the way she approached those songs, and a beauty too, tremendous melancholy, 
her voice was sort of gliding, but exuding regret, melancholy, resolve. I mean, these were uh, incredible collaborations. And you listen to those songs. Now, you know what I'm struck by, John? I talk to a lot of artists who will say to this day that you would never expect that were hugely influenced by Bachrach's compositions. So artists that are writing songs here in the 21st century are saying that Bachrach was one of the reasons they got into songwriting, and they're trying to, trying to write songs at that level. I don't know if it was Bert Bacharach, but somebody of his ilk once said, I hear pretty good music in elevators. And to your point about the fact that 1965, think of where America was, 65, 66, 68, and he's writing what the world needs now is love, sweet love, or don't go breaking my heart, or what's new pussycat for Tom Jones. You're right. Um, As maybe radical as the times were, it sure sounds like we also had a sweet spot for those sentiments as well. Well, you know, those were kind of uh, the fluffier side of it, you know, and that was David's lyrics primarily. Uh, Backrack's uh, melodies and arrangements were incredible uh, for whatever whatever service they, you know, whatever they served. But when you think about a song like Don't Make Me Over, that is a woman's anthem. Uh, basically, Dion telling them, her male songwriting partners, and the world, don't make me over, accept me for who I am. 1962 feminist anthem, right? Walk on by this incredible song about uh, a relationship that had gone south and how, you know, you don't want to look that ex in in the eye when they're walking down the street. Um, uh, Do you know the way to San Jose? These are, these are songs that, um, you know, they sound sound easy on the ears, but there's a lot of sophistication, a lot of heartache in those songs as well. What's the subtext to do you know the way to San Jose? Well, you know, it, I would say something like that is a song about, you know, and again, this is more David's, uh, David's role uh, than, uh, than uh, Backrack. But I mean, but the whole idea here is it's painting a very uh, sophisticated picture of a scene in a life, you know, and, it, it, you know, it may not necessarily be a song that says, oh, you know, it's a, it's a profound song, but it's an upbeat melody that belies the melancholy lyrics mm-hmm. about giving up on a dream and going back home you know and it's like you know to me that that song always uh, always uh you know struck me uh as kind of a a very uh you know just a heartbreaking song in a lot of ways even though it didn't sound that way uh, one last thing, Greg. So when you look at the discography, uh, Backrack and Hal David are listed as co-writers. Who was principally responsible for the lyrics then? Was it was it Backrack? Was it well, David, David? Was it both? David was the prime. Yeah, David. Hal David was the primary lyrical writer, and they'd been working together since the late fifties. Um, but and Backrack was was the guy who wrote the melodies and those incredible uh, chromatic harmonies. And by chromatic harmonies, I'm talking about consecutive chords that are like minor and major key. Those, those kind of things you'd hear in classical music, you know, and uh, you didn't hear that in too many pop songs. Yeah. But Backrack would contribute to lyrics along the way, too. I mean, he was part of the, they were, they were sort of a mind meld going on there. They were trying to create a mood. They were trying to achieve more than just kind of a, you know, a crash, you know, landing between the two. You know, here's the lyricist working on one side of the room and here's the guy writing the melody on the other side of the room. And then they come together. It was more about we want to create a mood, a sustained mood for three or four minutes in these songs, and that's what they were able to do.